What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 24th, the Three Fails edition. I'm Carvel Wallace. I'm a journalist and editor in Oakland, and I'm the father of Georgia, who is 11, almost 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Gabe and Rebecca are on vacation this week, but they'll be back next week. And today we've got two special guests. I'm Allison Benedict. Uh, I'm an editor at Slate, and I live in New Jersey, and I'm the mom of Harry, who is eight, almost nine, Sam, who is six, and Wally, four. And I'm Ami Cooper, uh, hairstylist and gardener in Oakland, California, and I'm the mother of Vida, who's 17, Ari, who's 12, and Jerome, who's eight. Today we're going to be talking to Ami about raising a trans sixth grader, and we're going to have recommendations. And in Slate Plus, we're going to catch up some more with Allison, who's here on her, her triumphant return. But first, triumphs and fails. Allison, what do you have for us? Uh, my triumphant re- return will begin with a fail. Uh, <laughs> so I was kind of loath to talk about this today, but I figured that meant that I should. Um, which is that uh, I send my kids to a really um, awesome day camp and every day they send pictures home and I love combing through them at the end of a horrible day of uh, editing crap about Trump and trying to find my kids smiling uh, and having fun. But pretty early on, I started uh, sort of having the impulse to share these cute pictures whenever I found my kids in one of them and then stopping myself from sharing them because uh, all the kids are white and I send my kids uh, to a camp that's basically all white. Um, mm. And I like basic, I know that that's not a good thing for them or a good decision to have made and that's my fail. Hmm. Wow. Um, wait, so you are you saying that the decision to send them to this camp is what you're considering the fail or? Uh, yeah. I mean, and I've made it twice. Mm. Like I, I sent my, um, the first year we moved, we moved to the suburb from the city to the suburbs uh, a couple of years ago. And the first summer we moved there, my son had like a pretty terrible time at the camp we sent him to. And he had a pretty terrible first year at school, just kind of not knowing anyone. So I thought I want to give him like the best summer camp experience I can and my parents said they would help us out and we found this camp that we heard was great and what all like most of what I knew about it is that it was really expensive and beyond what we could pay and my parents helped us and he went and he had a great summer and I kind of didn't think anything about it other than 
like I was just so happy that he was happy. So we sent him back this summer. And this summer is when I really sort of keyed in on like, hmm, like (laughs) this camp (laughs) is not like the rest of his life, um, which, Mm. you know, his life is is um, is not not white. (laughs) We're white and Mm. a lot of our neighbors are white, but his school is diverse. And uh, yeah, so I guess the fail is. You know, the camp is great. He's really happy. It's lots. He's got to do lots of cool stuff. Um, we're really lucky that my parents help us and we can send him. But uh, I think it's probably not great to send him off into this bubble every summer. Hmm. How do you like how do you address that? Do you talk about that with him? Is he of the age where that's something that you would have like conversations about or? How do you contextualize that for him? I haven't yet. I mean, this is the first I've talked about it, actually. I mean, mm. I've talked about it with my husband a bit and uh, mainly just like sort of the <sighs> donning is not the right word because I, you know, I don't want to s- sound like this, like I was naive and then I figured it out or something. But just this this growing feeling looking at the pictures every day uh, mm. that like something's not um right here uh and it's not that the you know what's not right is 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 the me like it's not that the camp is bad um mm. it's that like i'm i've made a decision to do a thing that i profess to be not like not cool with um mm. and i haven't talked to my son about it i guess i probably should yeah that's an interesting question i mean ami what do you do you think this is something you should bring up to your kid? How, how old is he He's eight, almost nine. Uh-huh. What do you think, Avi? Mm. Yeah, I know that's one of the biggest challenges, especially right now. It just feels like there's a lot of a lot of people um, looking at that, being more sensitive about um, diversity and um, and what's being how things are being perceived. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's so, it's such a personal thing, and every kid is so different. Uh-huh. You know, like some kids are already having these kinds of discussions at that age. Uh, I know in Oakland, we have a lot of, you know, curriculum built around that. So um, there are lots of conversations happening, but it's it's such a sensitive thing. Mm. Um, and I wouldn't, I don't even know how you would bring it up. Right, right. Without it being like super contrived. Right, you know. interesting. Has your son ever asked you about this or talked to you about, like, what is your... <laughs> to what extent is your son like race conscious? Yeah, I mean, we talk about you know things that are in the news. We talk, we read yeah. books about you know uh, Ruby Bridges, and like we try to um, make that not like this. You know, we talk, we talk, we definitely like race is not like a taboo subject in our household at all, and we talk about privilege and. But I've never talked about it um, in terms of in terms of this camp. I mean, we have talked about it about like his school. We moved from from Brooklyn where he went to, you know, which was supposed to be kind of this very diverse urban life, but his school was very, very white to a much uh-huh. um, more diverse school in the suburbs. And we've talked about that, um, but I haven't, I haven't personalized it when it comes to camp. I think it's probably, I think it's probably good um, to personalize it actually. Like it's not this, you know, giant historical problem only. It's like a day-to-day thing uh, in everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, thanks for talking about that. I mean, I'm sure this is <laughs> this is a topic that we'll continue to return to on the show as as we already have. Um, I'm going to go next, and I have a fail, which is nowhere near as large in social scale, but felt pretty weird. So um, <clears throat> listeners of the show will know that my family underwent a huge transition this summer because of the crazy housing situation here in Oakland. I always say that the real estate market is a third parent in our house because it makes as many decisions about our kids as we do. And um, so I, some of you know that I lost my house back in 2016. I had this three bedroom. It was great. And then I rented it out on Airbnb when I was traveling and then I got evicted. And then the landlord raised the rent by a thousand or by 200. Let's see. I was paying 2000. She raised it to 4,000 after I left. And, uh, and then I had to move into a smaller place, which meant that our childcare schedule was all screwed up. But my ex had this house in East Oakland and that was going well, but then they announced that they were going to sell the house. And so my ex then was like, I can't afford, even though she makes good money and has like a real grown up job that she's like an executive level, she still couldn't afford three bedroom rent in the Bay Area at the current market rates. So she ended up moving in with her boyfriend who had a rent controlled, who has a rent controlled three bedroom by the lake, which is this great neighborhood that everyone wants to get into. And this guy just happens to have this three bedroom house. So they moved in. That's what they did in August. All of a sudden, everyone's all living together. And he's great. It's been a lot of transition for everyone, and we're just getting the the hang of it. So the first day of school came along, and my daughter was uh, – Joe, my ex-wife, had to travel that week. She had to be gone on Monday to for work. And so we had this plan in place, and we scheduled it. Like I was going to come to the house and get the kids and get my daughter. My son isn't in school yet, and I was going to take her to school, first day of school and all this stuff. And Joe was had her flight was like later, like mid morning and all this. And so I set my alarm. I woke up. I drove over to the house. You know, I had just sort of connected with the boyfriend and we were everything was sort of on on tenuous ground. But everyone's trying to make the best of it. And I get there and no one's at the house, at the house. like no one is there. And it's like eight o'clock and I'm supposed to like pick her up to get her to school by 825 and no one's there. So I text like, hey, I'm outside and I get no response. And I'm like, what the hell? So I knock on the door and no one answers. I'm super confused. And then like 10 minutes later, I get a text from Joe, who my ex-wife, who's like, we I thought I was taking her this morning. And I was like, I thought I was. And so we had she's like, we're already like halfway to school. (laughs) And I was like, I mean, I just there was a such a I mean. There was such a gut punch because it was in some weird way symbolic of all these changes and all of this feeling of like not being able to handle everything that's happening in my kids' lives and somehow, quote unquote, missing the first day of school was like a little thing. I mean, my daughter and I had hung out the night before we had been texting, but somehow we just this was a thing. And so I ended up driving anyway to my daughter's school like treating it as a dry run so I can because it's a new location, figuring out how long it's going to take and what the traffic patterns are and everything. And then I got there just in time. And I pulled up in front of the school and she came out with her friends and she was like, Dad, you pulled up on me, like joking, <laughs> joking, you know? And I was like, I just wanted to see you on your first day. And so she was like, okay. And she gave me a hug and I was like, let's take a first day selfie. So we took a first day of school selfie. And then, uh, and then a minute later, I ran into her mom at a cafe and we sat and talked for like two hours <laughs> and got up before she went to the airport. So it was a fail that had a triumph at the end 
But man, it's just such complicated times right now. Wait, did you figure out like what, how the miscommunication happened? Like basically, it was who's, a, it who's was totally was on it? me. Okay, it was on me. Like we had, well, it was a little bit on my daughter. Like helped a little because we had t- together all made this plan, and then somehow my daughter and I had both gotten it wrong. So then when we were t- we made this plan on like Friday, but then on like Sunday when we were texting. She was texting me about school supplies or whatever. And she and then at the end of her text, she was like, I'll see you tomorrow morning, right? And I was like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Like, I'll pick you up. So my daughter and I had agreed that I was going to pick her up, but that was not the plan that we had all set. So it was it was really on me. I had just spaced because, you know, I, I do that sometimes. But, uh, yeah, lots going on. <laughs> all right, Ami, what do you got? All right, well, I'll keep going with the fails. Good. <laughs> three for three. Yeah, but mine's a little bit more, I think it's gen- more general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, I have this sort of dream of family life, uh, including bike riding. Mm. And uh, none of my kids like riding bikes. In <laughs> fact, my youngest doesn't even know how. So I feel I feel like I totally failed. Um, you know, like uh, they should have already you know, experience the whole thing and be very proficient. Right. But they're not. Oh. And my two older ones know how, but they just absolutely, they abhor um, riding bikes. And I just feel like, man, what what happened there? Wow. <laughs> is it because it's hard? Like, is it hard to ride? Like, part of it is, like, depending on where you live in Oakland, Oakland's not that great of a bike riding city, especially no. for kids. No, it's extremely, it's super urban where right. we live. So it's not the ideal place to ride your bike. Right. Right. But but I would, I'd make an effort, you know, to take them out to a, another place, a safer place. Yeah. That didn't have traffic yeah. so that they can ride their bikes because it, it seems like such a fun thing to do as a family. Do you buy that your youngest has to learn or you think it's like not a skill that that is okay to not have? Yeah, I just think it's such an important skill to have. I really do. I think that everyone should know how to ride a bike, even if they don't do it like all the time or whatever. But I mean, you just you should you should know. Yeah. But that's just I don't know. Maybe I need to let it go. But I've met adults who don't know how to ride bikes and they have all these regrets Right. You know, they're like, why didn't my parents teach me? And right. then they cried themselves to sleep every night. I know some adults who try, you know, learned as adults. And I think it's really hard, like your sense it's of balance. Super hard. and Yeah, you overthink it. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not I'm kind of on the fence about it. Like, I don't want to be forceful and say, you know, like, you need to do this <laughs> and then have have Jerome like hate it even more. Right. Is there like zero interest on Jerome's part? Yeah, like, it's just none. It's because there's it's not necessary, it's not how you get around, it's not It just seems so scary. Oh. How yeah. old is Jerome? 8. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, it's just like way too much going on at once. I oh. think you should. Yeah. I think you're not asking for advice, but I'm going to give well, it. Yeah, now <laughs> I am. But we're, we're going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I think you should. This might be too harsh. But I was also scared of uh, riding, learning to ride a bike when I was a kid. I think you should figure out like a day trip somewhere flat and put that on like the mm-hmm. calendar. And then this is crazy. You're going to sound. You're going to think I sound like a crazy person, but you can get your kid bike riding lessons so that you take the like mm. the mom. Uh, pressure and like all the tension that comes between parents and kids on things like that out of it for sure and just like enroll your kid in a couple of those classes and tell him he has to like there's a there's a deadline because you guys are taking this trip (laughs) that sounds good actually that's a really good idea yeah Yeah, because i i mean i I wouldn't have thought of that methodology but i do think 
that I feel like you should probably just kind of take the reins on this one. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of where you kind of needed to do a little a little parental grabbing of the wheel and saying, "Look, this is this is going to happen." Yeah. You know, it's it's hard, but it's yeah. Right. Uh, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, three failure parents <laughs> all together. <laughs> <laughs> Let us answer. Now, now we're going to give you advice <laughs> on how you can fail. Come join the club. <laughs> With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on to our next segment, let's first do a little bit of business. First, I want to tell you about another Slate show. It's Slate Double X Gab Fest. The Double X Gab Fest is a bi-weekly podcast about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, Beyonce, and other issues of interest to women and their friends. It's hosted by Invisibilia co-host Hannah Rosen, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and managing producer of Slate Podcast's June Thomas. Last time they deconstructed Charlie XCX's Boys video, watched the new TV show The Bold Type, and talked about Google's diversity woes. Check out the Double X Gab Fest wherever you get your podcasts. And we want to hear from you. If you want to ask us a question on air or leave us a voicemail at 424 424- 255-7833. It's the best way to have us respond to your questions, and we love hearing from you. And today on Slate Plus, we get to roast Allison some more as we dig dig deeper into her personal fails as a parent, which will make us all feel better about what we're doing. To hear that segment, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program where fans of Slate and our podcasts help support us. For $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing these shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of the show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So... If you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus to join Slate Plus today. Okay, moving on. In our studio today, we have uh, Ami Cooper, who is uh, a friend of mine, someone that I know from uh, Oakland in general, and whose daughter now is a co-student, a colleague of my of my 11-year-old at, uh, at their middle school, and... Um, we're going to talk with Ami about her experiences parenting at this point a trans sixth grader. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So thanks for coming on and agreeing to talk about this. I can imagine that this has been quite a journey for you, um, this experience. Can you tell me a little bit about how um, how this began for you, like how you how this kind of emerged for you and your family? Hmm. Oh, gosh. Uh, where to begin? Yeah. Uh, well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's real honor to be here and um uh you know when when Ari was three is it's when things really started Uh um as far as you know being adamant about identifying as a girl even though she's biologically male um and at that time I didn't know anybody who was trans and I didn't know anybody who had trans kids so it was uh it was all very new to me, and I thought maybe it was just some something that she was playing with, you know, that right. it was just a phase. But it just continued where she was just very insistent on being a girl. 
Um, so we were living at that time in Sacramento, and um, it, it's a defi- definitely a more conservative um, part of the world. And so uh, when Ari was about to go into kindergarten, uh, I made the decision to move to the Bay Area uh, so that she could go to kindergarten at a school where um, there was a, a lot more acceptance. Um, maybe she wouldn't be in the minority. Uh, and also because Vida, uh, her older sister, um, was in school where Ari would be going to school and everyone knew Ari as Vida's brother who wore dresses. So uh, I guess I just didn't want Ari to have this, uh, you know, already have this identity as being Vida's, you know, brother mm. who's who's just kind of weird, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um so we made the move to uh, to Berkeley. Wow. I, you mentioned thinking it was a phase, but there was, was there a time in which you kind of hoped it was a phase? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's always a mixed bag, you know? It's like, I want to be this loving and accepting uh, mom, you know? It's like, I, I accept you just as you are, you mm. know? But the fear of the world and how the world was going to react uh, is what made it really difficult for me to to be accepting of it. Um, I found myself being really overwhelmed with, uh, with worry for Ari and what, uh, what the future was going to bring for her. And, um, yeah, I had hoped that it would pass and that we could just kind of return to life as usual. Yeah, yeah. A lot of parents, I would guess, in your situation, would have tried to... I don't know. I mean, probably this happened a lot in the past. <laughs> like mm. a lot of parents would have been like, well, obviously this is, you know, would have tried to force this out of their kid or force them into a situation where they were where they were aligned with gender roles as, as expected. Mm. What kept you from doing that? Mm. Uh, it just didn't f- feel right to me. You know, uh, there was just a there was just a feeling that I had that that's just not that's not how I wanted to handle it, um, and not to throw Ari's you know dad under the bus because he's come a long way and is very accepting and loving of Ari now. But at that time, he absolutely was not, and in fact, uh, you know, said some really really harsh things to Ari and um, made these rules that at his house Ari wore boys' clothes mm. and. Um, and uh, it created a lot of tension uh, between our households and in our uh, co-parenting relationship, for sure. Um, it increased the amount of stress and anxiety that I had about Ari's well-being. Mm-hmm. And it also increased the anger and anxiety for Ari because she was feeling like she wasn't being accepted mm-hmm. by one of her parents. Mm-hmm. At, at what point did you n- know... Did you kind of give up on hoping that it was a phase? Did you know it, it is? Mm. I I imagine it's not a moment, but it's a process. But like when, how, and when did you know that this is this is not passing? Around age four, you know, like right before uh, we had to make decisions about kindergarten. I think that was that was kind of the um, the pivotal moment for me um, because Ari had said that she she wanted to go to school as a girl. Um, 
Uh, and I that's when I had to kind of come to terms with it not being a phase, you know. What was elementary school like then? How, how did you handle this with teachers, with with the administration? Ari, because she was younger, uh, could pass as a girl, so no one knew. Like, we didn't disclose to everybody that she was, um, that she was trans, um, except for her teachers and the principal, um, just for safety reasons. They needed to know that. Um, and they were all really okay with it. Uh, there were a few times when there was some... I think because we're still kind of discovering things and working through some of the kinks, um, there were some discussions about the bathroom, mm-hmm. um, which just is such a surprise to me that that would even be an issue, you know, um, just because, like, she clearly looks like a girl. Why would she go to the boys' bathroom? It, just stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but otherwise, I found I found it to be really easy to navigate. Hmm. The world <laughs> struggles with this, and there's so many people who um, are. One of the arguments that I hear is that how do you know, like, when a kid is this age, right? As though it's there's some kind of like uh, content warning on being trans, as though that's somehow like really as though it's a sexual a piece of sexual content. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, you can't a kid can't know at that age because they're too young. They have to be eighteen, nineteen. <clears throat> what do you say to people? Like, what is your response as someone who is a parent to that argument? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question because uh, it, that does come up a lot. It's like, how does some, someone so young, how could they possibly know? But I usually ask people to sort of reflect on their own experiences around that. Like, like when did you know that you were a boy? Mm. You know, how did you know that? At what age do you remember when you were a child that you were clearly identifying yourself as a male or as a boy? Mm. And it's usually around the age of three where kids start becoming really um, almost obsessed with gender, Mm. you know, where they want to put a gender on every single thing. You know, Mm -hmm. even like animals where it's like, you know, Carlos has a penis, therefore he is a boy. And so... um, Carlos is your dog. Carlos is my dog, <laughs> and he does have he does have a penis. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure about his gender, though. You know, we just right. haven't had that talk. Um, but yeah, uh, so I feel like there's that. That is the age where kids are exploring their own gender, the genders of other people, um, and so it's it's a it's a natural time uh, to to start exploring what that means. Yeah. Thinking about you having to like answer those questions, how like how how much of parenting is like this uh political act and how much just feels like like life. It seems exhausting to have to, you know, field those questions mm-hmm. and have what's happening in your family be like a um a political debate. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely um uh, I have those moments where I'm just like, I just really don't want to talk about this right now. And yet, you know, I'm sort of expected to. Um, I I don't, I, I'm not going to be like the spokesperson for all, you know, parents of trans kids. I sometimes will omit information from people. Um, I have pictures hanging up at my station of my kids and, you know, they always want to know 
more about them, you know? And so I just, I have to just, there's a lot of times I leave stuff out, you know, because I just don't want to have that conversation. Um, but if I feel like someone's open enough, I will, I'll, I'll talk about it. Or sometimes someone will say something kind of alluding to like, can you believe that, you know, there's so much stuff happening about, you know, gender right now? And, and then I kind of have to go, okay, well, actually, hmm. you know, there's, there are good reasons why hmm. uh, we're having these conversations about gender. Hmm. Um, and then that just, you know, brings up a lot of questions, more questions and um, I'm happy to share my experience most of the time, but there are days where I just don't want to talk about it. Hmm. So Ari is has bega- uh, began sixth grade. Yes. Two days ago, mm-hmm. the same day that I failed to pick my daughter up and take her to school. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so that was her first day at a middle school in Oakland, and the same middle school that my daughter's at. And mm-hmm. I should say for the listeners that I yesterday they they got a chance to meet my daughter and Ari, and I kind of like we arranged this meeting before. In front of the gates at school, so I told my daughter, who is like now relatively popular by middle school standards, like, look, this is Ari. This is a new person at this school. Can you just keep an eye on her and look out for her or what have you? Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you've begun this, how, how, I guess there's two sets of questions. One is like, how did you prepare this school for Ari? And how did you prepare Ari for the school? Um, preparing the school for Ari was just a kind of a brief um, meeting with the assistant principal, um, where I was actually asking uh, questions about her, what's her take on the school itself, the climate of the school. Were they ready for a trans student? Um, and were there questions about safety? Uh, those were my main concerns. And uh, she seemed really confident in um, in the school community that it would be a safe place for Ari, and uh, and that because she was coming in as a sixth grader, that they work really hard to um, to build a, a strong bond in the sixth grade uh, among the students, so that they can kind of you know rise up together mm-hmm. in seventh and eighth grade, uh, already having these relationships with each other and a, a mutual respect. So that made me feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation with Ari um, was mostly led by her because she had made a decision in the fifth grade that she really wanted to be out. Mm-hmm. Um, she was tired of being afraid of being found out. And so she decided she was just going to let everybody know that she was trans. Um, which of course is like really awesome and empowering and so exciting for me as a parent because, you know, it's like she's confident in herself and she, you know, she's just going to be who she is. Mm. And then there's the other side of it, right? Where it's like, yeah, where it's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, what? You know, like if you, but if you tell people, then they know. Right. (laughs) Um, so... (laughs) So, um, but not wanting to show that to her because yeah. I wanted to support her decision, you know. So, so it's always, for us, it's always been about, you know, some people don't understand things and they say mean things or do mean things because uh-huh. of that. And it has nothing to do really with you. Uh-huh. It has everything to do with their own insecurities and their own fears. And so it was kind of a like a preparatory conversation about the possibility that there would be people who were not accepting. Mm. 
and that it's not because she was doing something wrong, mm-hmm. but that they just didn't understand. They, you know, didn't have enough education about it. Has that happened? Has she, ha, has she encountered that? Or to what extent has she? So far, not yet. But, you know, she's only been out for a, a little while. Yeah. So, and, and it takes a while for things to circulate. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of to be determined at this point. Yeah. What does that look like for her on the first day of school? How How do you come out to people in that regard? I mean, do you... Like announce it? Like is that what you how you introduce yourself? Like how how does that happen? I know. I was wondering that too. I don't think she's figured that part out yet. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I think it'll probably be more in in one on one conversations with people that she meets. Ari's classmates from her previous elementary school um, also are going to. The, the middle school where she goes, uh-huh. and so and they know that she's trans, and um, so I just think it's a matter of time, really, where it's like this, it'll come up in conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How I mean, from your perspective, at least, how it's been for your other kids, and also like if you feel like um, you have to make an effort to make sure that they um, that Ari's not at the center of you know of everything. Um, mm. I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's something that you think about. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that it's been going on for such a long time now that we, uh, it's just the way it is, you know. Her older sister, I think, uh, at a younger age, was was really worried about Ari and her, and her safety. Um, and uh, and that, that came up a lot in our conversations. Um, but now I think it also has helped her to have a a level of consciousness around, you know, gender issues, um, and, uh, that she's been able to be more accepting because of Ari. Yeah. So this is a, such a thing to go through and it's, and in some sense it, even though it requires all the same parenting things that we deal with. Uh, in another sense, it's re- really different from a lot of parenting situations. Did you seek outside help, resources? How did you like? How did you reach out for help to know how to properly navigate this? I'm really grateful that we live uh, in a time where there's internet. You know, like that's been so helpful to be able to you know just pull up lists of resources. Uh, so that I, I feel less isolated in that way. Um, there is an organization called Gender Spectrum. Mm. And uh, they're right here in the Bay. And uh, they have so many things that they do. They have a conference every year. Um, I think it's three or four days. And they cover everything, you know, from like the legal aspects of, you know, transitioning or, you know, gender nonconforming. Um, living and uh, education and the medical part of it and they have speakers and so people are coming from all over to get this information from them and um, and they're so supportive and so so uh, resourceful nice Mm -hmm. yeah thank you so much Ami for coming to talk with us and uh, and we just wish you you and your family the best of luck thank you yeah 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, time for recommendations. Allison, what do you have? Uh, My recommendation is go to Iceland uh, with your kids. I think I'm supposed to be like a little bit embarrassed to have just gone to Iceland because it's so like it's really popular, trendy trendy tourist destination. Yeah, Yeah. there was like a dead spin post last year that the headline was, oh, you went to Iceland? Amazing. Um, (laughs) But we went to Iceland this summer, uh, like a month ago, and it was, in fact, amazing. And the thing I loved the most about it, well, you guys, your kids are older, so maybe this doesn't feel as much um, of an issue to you. But so many of the trips we take to them, to take with our kids, are like really geared toward them, targeted at them. um, Mm -hmm. And which is great and fun for them. But uh, it was it was pretty awesome to do all this active stuff with three young boys and none of it was really geared toward them and um, and they loved it. Uh, and this is somewhat related, but like even the touristy stuff we did, like when you go there's like a place where you can go down into a volcano. I don't think like Icelandic people are doing that. Like obviously that's a touristy <laughs> thing to do, but yeah. you like go you like hike a couple miles to this volcano and then you get on this like metal platform and you lower down into they lower you down to the volcano and you like see the volcano and then you come back up and you hike a couple more miles back and then there's like hot chocolate and soup and that's it there's no like gift shop or you know like (laughs) performance or whatever and it was just a really that it was a really fun way to travel and it was nice to see that like even having a bunch of kids we could do something like this so that's my my real recommendation but if you aren't in the market for a big trip because you know i'm normally not either uh then i want to recommend castle by david mccauley which is actually my husband loved this book growing up and he's been reading it to our kids uh, so this is more his recommendation than mine. But it's basically just like this gorgeous book of extremely detailed pen and ink architectural illustrations. And the narrative is just uh, like detailing how this fictitious Lord's Castle is built. It's part of a series. It's also like there's a cathedrals one, city, pyramid, mill. Uh, but Castle is the only one we've read. And it's cool. That's it. Love it. Ami, okay. what do you have? Well, I got to go see Wonder Woman. Uh-huh. with the kids uh-huh. and it was amazing i loved it loved every minute of it um the the fight scenes are so intense and i love the training of yeah. the amazonians like they are so badass yes so badass like if i would have seen that as a kid i don't i don't know i think i would have carried a sword everywhere <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, we had the exact same response to it. We were, we were amazed and transfixed as a family when we saw it, mm-hmm. and uh, it really just highlighted how, as a boy, you get to see like guy superheroes all the time. It's just taken for granted that that's a thing, and uh, yeah, totally, it meant yes. a lot to our family to see that. Good, good recommendation. All right, I'm gonna recommend. I'm gonna go back in the Wayback Machine to something my kids are way too old for now, but for some reason we loved this book when we when we were all younger. It's called The Boy. The Baird, The Baron, and The Bard. Hmm. It's a picture book uh, with no text. And the story is that a child is visiting the Globe Theater and he goes through a curtain and is magically transported back in time and suddenly has to like navigate this whole world and his best friend is a bear, presumably the bear from Nerd Alert Glasses, presumably the bear from The Winter's Tale who... who is introduced with the stage direction exit pursued by bear, which some people know about. And so this boy confront is like becomes friends with this bear. And then he and this bear have to run from like the evil baron. And, and, but the, but the best thing about this book is that there's no text. And so we just dis- get to describe each page and each picture, each panel to the kids. And then as they, as they got older, they began to describe it. And so it's this really interesting mix of reading a story and creating one. And I now realize that that's why it was so popular in our house when our kids were, I'm going to say between three and six, this was one of our favorite books to go back to. So it's called The Boy, The Bear, The Baron, and The Bard. And you can get it on Amazon. That is a great recommendation. And also, like, I feel like my nightmare book. Like, those books where you have to just fill in the story on your own when you're just trying to, like, pass the time until bedtime. That is not, that's not for me. I think that's accurate. (laughs) All right, Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for the show is slate.com slash mom and dad. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on air, then leave us a message at 424-255-7833. You can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. For Allison Benedict and Ami Cooper, I'm Carvel Wallace, and we'll see you next week. family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.